Hi, this is the American Psychological Association's Division 15 podcast series on emerging research in educational psychology. My name is Jeff Green. Thanks for joining us. So I've taught quite a few courses on learning, and many times in the first class session, I present my students with a hypothetical middle schooler named Jeff who was struggling in just about every aspect of school. I asked them, you know, if they had a magic wand and could change one thing about Jeff or his situation, what they would change. I list a bunch of things that they could change, and the students pretty quickly figure out that all the things I listed are important and worth thinking about, but inevitably, the most popular choice of something to change is Jeff's motivation. What takes the students a little longer to figure out is that people don't have motivation, they have motivations, plural. And one prominent model of motivation is situated expectancy value theory. It's inspired many promising interventions, but most of them have been focused on just one aspect of that theory, utility value. There's a lot more to situate expectancy value theory, and therefore a lot more to learn about how to help students develop positive motivations. All of that prompted Drs. Emily Rosenzweig, Alan Wigfield, and Jackie Eccles to write a wonderful article in Educational Psychologist entitled, Beyond Utility Value Interventions, the why, when, and how for next steps in expectancy value intervention research. I'm excited to talk to Emily today so she can help us understand what lies beyond utility value. So Dr. Emily Rosenzweig is an assistant professor in the Department of Educational Psychology at the University of Georgia's Mary Frances Early College of Education. Her research examines how students' motivation impacts learning and how to design interventions that enhance students' motivation to learn. She says a highlight of her job is that she also gets to teach classes about motivation and run a motivation-focused research lab for undergraduate and graduate students. She received a BA in philosophy, neuroscience, psychology, and educational studies from Washington University in St. Louis, and a PhD in human development from the University of Maryland. Her past accomplishments include winning the Charles Caramello Distinguished Dissertation Award from the University of Maryland, as well as National Science Foundation postdoctoral and graduate research fellowships. So Emily, thanks so much for joining me today. Hi, Jeff. Thanks for having me. So it's often helpful if we kind of give our listeners like a brief high-level overview of the focus of your article. Can you share a little bit about that with us? Sure. So the goal of the article that we wrote is really to provide ideas for future directions in intervention research in situated expectancy value theory. And the reason that I work in this theory and think it's really cool is because there are decades of correlational research within this theory really looking at the predictors of the key motivational constructs and how those constructs relate to different learning outcomes. And then recently, researchers have done intervention research in the theory as well, kind of looking at how can we change these constructs to enhance learning. This work has been really powerful and very persuasive, but it is sort of limited to one motivational construct in terms of what the majority of interventions have focused on to date, which is how useful something is for you or your perceived utility value. So the goal of our article was really to take the other motivational constructs in the model and just think through how we might intervene around them, why it might be important to do so, when in development those interventions might take place, and just think a little bit more broadly about doing interventions that are a little bit more holistic or target multiple constructs in expectancy value theory. Super cool. So that's really helpful. I think some listeners might need a little refresher on situated expectancy value theory. Can you just kind of give us the highlights of that? Of course. Yeah. So the theory posits that when we talk about students' motivation and really the key things that would motivate someone to do a particular academic task, there are two major areas of motivation to consider. One is your expectancies or how well you expect to do on an upcoming task. 
The other is how much you value the task. So how interesting it is, how important it is to you and personally meaningful, how useful it is for your current and future goals, and your perceptions of the negative consequences of engaging with the task. And so the expectancy component is often talked about in terms of, can I do this when I think about doing an academic task? It relates to kind of your self-efficacy, your broader beliefs about your abilities, as well as just how well you expect to do. And then the task value component is usually defined in terms of the question of, do I want to do this task? And the four components that I mentioned are defined as intrinsic value, which is how interesting something is, utility value, which is how useful for your goals, attainment value, which is kind of how personally meaningful or tied to your sense of self, and perceived cost, which is your perceptions of the negative consequences of engaging with it. That's great. And there's certainly a lot to that theory, and it's, it's been studied for quite a while now. And I know that recently Eccles and Wakefield kind of added the situated component to that. So can you just give us a sense of what makes the theory situated? Yes. Yeah, so the situated part of the theory, basically in 2020, Alan Wakefield and Jack Eccles did kind of a series of two companion article chapters where they were thinking through next directions for the theory. And one thing that they wanted to reflect on was the idea that motivation isn't really in a vacuum. When you make a decision to do one task, you're doing it alongside all the other tasks that you're doing. And they have a really nice quote that resonates with me that says, today's choices become tomorrow's past experiences. Mm -hmm. I mean, you're making these choices in kind of a line and this big synergy of you in your learning context and you're kind of situated in a particular environment, making a series of decisions and your motivational beliefs aren't just one static thing. They're always changing and changing depending on the context, and they're kind of always interacting with one another over time. And I think they added S to really focus on that situated, synergistic, more dynamic aspect of the theory. Yeah, I, I really like that line too. It makes a lot of sense. Like, I can't imagine how you'd have, for example, strong attainment value until you'd actually kind of started getting involved in an idea or getting involved in an area. And so my guess is that these types of motivation probably grow and change over time. Oh, yeah, for sure. And it's kind of over time in the short term and the long term, you know, so you're even over the course of an activity, you might start off being really interested, really enjoying it, but then find that faltering over time. But then more broadly, yeah, over the course of your development of interest in an activity that looks really different from beginning to end or over the course of years of pursuing a career or a particular educational trajectory. Yeah, so that's what makes it so interesting that, as you wrote, so much of the emphasis in intervention work around situated expectancy value theory has been on the utility value piece of it, which, I mean, that makes a lot of sense. Utility value is a concept that seems relevant, seems manageable, but uh, can you give us a sense of what a typical utility value intervention might look like and what kinds of effects it might have on students? Yeah, so... The interventions in the utility value framework are often designed around the idea of relevance. And it's this idea that if you're really connecting what you're learning to yourself, to your own lives, or maybe at a deeper level, your goals and your future pursuits, that making any of those relevance connections really helps you to think about why what you're learning in a course might be useful for you. And the idea is if you're able to see that more clearly when you do these relevance activities, you're able to perceive what you're using as more useful. 
while you're learning as more useful. Mm -hmm. And utility value interventions typically just ask students to engage in that process of finding relevance to course material. So there are lots of different ways that researchers have done this. Lots of different researchers are doing this work and it's been shown to be powerful. And it includes things like reading quotations from other students and then reflecting on them. Most common is that students are asked to kind of write an essay or a testimonial, just connecting the topics they've been covering in their course to their own lives or to their goals. Mm. And sometimes they do it for the lives of someone else, like a close friend or a family member as well. These interventions have been found to promote grades for students, particularly students who start off in the course performing a little worse or not expecting to do as well, Mm -hmm. Um, and sometimes for underrepresented students more strongly in the course. Mm -hmm. And they've also been found to promote perceptions of value and kind of long-term persistence in fields, so course taking. And in a lot of contexts, they actually predict your interest and your intrinsic value in addition to things related to finding utility. So these interventions really aren't limited to just focusing on perceived utility. But I think the idea is that the manipulation is all about thinking about that utility. Yeah. And there's there's a bunch of interventions out there where, you know, we ask students to write about something to kind of internalize the idea, like the utility of what they're learning, as you illustrated. And then it sounded like one of the outcomes is maybe increased intrinsic interest, which I know a lot of educators really wish their students had deep intrinsic interest. It sounds like, though, that might follow from other kinds of motivation, like utility value. Is that a good way of thinking about it? Yeah, I think the theory of change behind the intervention, and I think Chris Holman and colleagues and Judy Herakovich, they read a really nice paper about this in like 2010 in Journal of Ed Psych. But my interpretation of the theory is that, you know, you think about the utility or the connections of what you're learning to your current and future goals. And then this helps you once you can perceive that connection, then yeah, like you're saying, that can help foster interest development over time because it's connected. And so you see it as being more relevant and thus, you know, more interesting, more exciting. So it makes total sense that people have been focusing on utility value, that it seems to have such clear connections to subsequent kinds of motivations. But your article does this fantastic job of illustrating what other kinds of interventions could look like. And there's this table in it that I love. It's recommendations for next steps in situated expectancy value theory intervention research. And you talk about the types of interventions and why you might intervene and when to do so and how to do it. It's just, it's a fantastic table. It's a great article. We can't go through all of it here, but I really encourage our listeners to check it out. But I'm wondering, are there a couple maybe types of interventions or methods of doing so that you think are particularly promising or that you're really excited about that you want to share with us? Yeah. So in the paper, we really talk about a few key kind of categories and we organize it really by thinking about Okay, in expectancy value theory, we have utility value, and then we also have these other types of task value, and we have perceived competence-related beliefs. So Mm -hmm. we started the paper by really thinking about, well, if we were going to do a specific targeted intervention, like how the utility value intervention work looks, and we were going to do that for the other types of task value, what would that look like? So Mm -hmm. we go through first how you might intervene on attainment value, intrinsic value, and perceptions of cost. Mm -hmm. And then we go on to talk about targeted interventions for competence-related beliefs. Although with competence-related beliefs, there actually is a lot of relevant intervention work that's been done at a targeted level, mostly on self-efficacy for learning. So we do a lot of kind of drawing from and thinking about that literature and just to inform how that might specifically relate to expectancy value theory. 
-hmm. And then we talk about combinations. So we think about, well, what if you want to do an intervention on multiple types of constructs together? Might that be more effective or less than single construct interventions? And finally, if we want to go broader, how can we do interventions that really get at these dynamic, synergistic, and situated aspects of the theory? So in terms of specific future directions, we in the paper really go through each of those categories. If I had to highlight specific ones, I mean, I think the place where we get the most specific is in thinking through these connections with the attainment value, intrinsic value, and perceived cost interventions. Mm -hmm. That's the area where there's a ton of interesting research, but not a ton of systematic recommendations about where and how to intervene on those constructs. Mm. I mean, I can talk about what those might look like. I don't know if you need that much detail. You know, I, I think it'd be really helpful if you gave us an example of one of those. Sure. So I can do attainment value just as an example. So attainment value, again, is kind of your perception of how much value something has because it's personally meaningful or important or it ties to your sense of self and identity. Mm -hmm. And in the correlational literature and expectancy value theory, attainment value has been found to come online for students as early as maybe you know, late elementary school um, is when you could distinguish that from another type of task value. Mm -hmm. But attainment value is developmentally kind of complex because it ties to your identity and it ties to, you know, who you want to be and who you don't want to be. So we talk a little bit in the paper about how interventions targeting attainment value, correlational literature and expectancy value theory would really suggest that they're probably going to be particularly powerful if you're starting them when students are maybe in middle school or later, can really understand these concepts related to identity. That's kind of the when to intervene around mm -hmm. attainment value. Mm -hmm. We also talk about why to intervene on attainment value. And looking at the correlational literature, again, we find that task values in general really predict students' participation, their course taking in fields. And then just through correlational research, it looks like attainment value in particular might be an especially strong predictor of things like your career choices, your long-term trajectories. So if your goal is really to do an intervention that's going to get students interested in a particular career path or a major, mm -hmm. you might need to think about the design of your intervention tying to attainment value, at least to some capacity, as much as it's possible, because that's really how you can tap into these long-term change processes. And that's kind of the why to intervene. Okay. If you think about the how to intervene, we looked at a few different sources of literature for ideas of this. We looked at the expectancy value intervention literature. So there's really interesting literature and intervention work done by Tony Perez and colleagues asking students to reflect on their identities. There are some interesting kind of laboratory tasks by Johnson and Sinatra that found that reflection around identity could help promote attainment value. And there isn't tons of correlation literature about teacher predictors of attainment value, but the research that exists would say that if you do things like teacher support and autonomy support, that this can promote attainment value. So we kind mm -hmm. of drew across all these literatures and say that, well, the best way to try and design an intervention to enhance attainment value might be to get students to reflect on the importance of a task personally and to the extent possible to really get them to reflect on the ties between what you're learning in a class and your valued identities. Mm. And we talk about this in the article, but in many ways, this isn't that different from the utility value intervention approach of getting students to make these relevance connections, but it's kind of taking it to the next level in terms of really making sure that the explicit ties to your current or future identities are there when you're making those connections, as opposed to just any type of goals that you might have. 
There's also a lot of really cool intervention literature in the identity-based intervention literature space, which is a huge intervention space outside Mm -hmm. of expectancy value theory. Mm -hmm. And so we kind of review in the article, okay, if you wanted to actually get students to do this, what do those look like? And we talk about some of those identity-based interventions and how you might be able to draw from that in terms of designing something to focus on attainment value. But that's kind of an example of We just went through correlational literature, intervention literature outside of expectancy value theory, and intervention literature inside of expectancy value theory to kind of synthesize and think about, all right, well, together, what do all these say about how and when and why you might intervene around each construct? That that is really helpful and makes a ton of sense in terms of going beyond just utility to talk also about identity. So it seems really promising. And I I love how in your article, you illustrate so well the power of iterating between theory and correlational work and experimental work and how each informs one another and you can develop good ideas about each, whether it's theory or correlational work or experimental work from each other. There's this really nice kind of discourse back and forth and you illustrate that quite well. Another thing that you talked about in your paper were kind of multi-construct interventions. So what you were just describing, I believe you would refer to as a targeted intervention. Mm -hmm. Can you help us understand what a multi-construct intervention would be and kind of what they might look like or why you might decide to pursue one? Yeah. So multi-construct intervention is the name we gave in a previous paper we had written and used here. I think some researchers call multifaceted intervention or just intervention, but it's basically just an intervention where you're designing it to affect more than one motivational construct. So Mm -hmm. in a utility value intervention, your goal is really to manipulate utility value. But if I were to design that intervention with a goal to change utility value and attainment value or utility value and competence-related beliefs, then that's what we're defining as a multi-construct intervention, meaning when you're creating the materials, you're trying to change more than one motivational construct. Mm -hmm. And I'll note that there are a lot of really cool multi-construct interventions out there in situated expectancy value theory. Although the majority of the field has done utility value work just numerically, there are tons of really cool ideas out there for multi-construct interventions. We go through a lot of examples in the paper. Mm -hmm. One really prominent example that just immediately comes to mind is co-editor of ed psychologist Lisa Linebrink-Garcia. They have a really Mm -hmm. cool multi-construct expectancy value intervention that informed our paper a lot. Mm -hmm. And yeah, the idea is just to be a little bit broader in terms of what you're designing it to affect. So just more than one construct. And it's really interesting to me to think about how when you target more than one construct, there may be some direct effects, kind of, you know, interventions targeting utility have certain outcomes, interventions targeting intrinsic interest might have different outcomes. But then you talk about how there might be these kind of combinatory or interactive effects on outcomes as well. And it just sounds like there's just so much exciting work that could be done in this area. And so it's it's great to hear about what Lisa's doing, Lisa Litterman Garcia, and how work like that is really promising for the future. Yeah, I think that that's a really cool area for intervention research, just because, again, turning to this correlational body of work, there's all this research on how expectancies and values can interact with one another. Mm-hmm. And thinking about even if it's not necessarily a statistical interaction that you're finding in a regression, just the idea that we all have all of these motivational constructs going on, working together. Mm -hmm. Um, In a given classroom, all students might have really different motivational concerns and patterns. And Mm -hmm. getting into this multi-construct space does help think a little more broadly about with all this complexity within students across classrooms, 
how do you get an intervention that will really get at what people need and help all these things work together effectively? And that's, I really like the appeal of those in the multi-construct kind of space. That's a great point. You know, when I think about theory, sometimes I get really excited about targeted interventions. But the reality is that for educators, you know, they have 20, 30, 40 students in front of them. And as you said, those students have a variety of motivational profiles that really differ. And so I see the appeal of a multi-construct intervention with just the hope that, okay, there's going to be something in here for almost everybody. Hopefully, yeah. hopefully we can kind of hit the right thing for a bunch of students as opposed to just targeting one intervention. That makes sense to me. Yeah, I like the way you're framing it. It's like this tie between the theoretical, I really want to know how X affects Y, but then Mm -hmm. also, you know, in our real classrooms, when X is affecting Y, you know, it might be X with some other things affecting Y, then they're also affecting Z. And just having a little more of a framework thinking about that is helpful. Mm-hmm. And, and your article, again, just has a, a ton of great synthesis of the existing literature and good ideas about how to target individual constructs and how to target multiple constructs. So all of that is really fascinating. I encourage everyone to, to check out your article. You also talk about the importance of considering culture when designing and evaluating situated expectancy value theory interventions. Can you talk to us a little bit about what you mean by that and why it's important? For sure. So a huge thread across as we were revising this paper, and I do want to give a really huge shout out. I mean, at the end, I'll give the biggest shout out ever to my co-authors, but Mm -hmm. to them, but also to all the reviewers of this paper were really, really helpful. Because through our revision, we really thought a ton more about how the intervention kind of delivery and how you're designing it really interacts with students learning in particular contexts and how we need to be thinking a lot more about kind of the complicated context in which students learn as we're doing this intervention design and thinking through recommendations. That led to this point about culture being, you know, becoming really a much more big point in the end of the paper than it was when we had first submitted, getting at the idea that when we're doing these interventions, we can design them as targeted as we'd like. And often based on kind of the theoretical principles that I use when I design interventions, often those principles seem to work. But at the same time, every learning context is really so different. And Mm -hmm. students are coming to the learning context of an intervention, being informed by a huge history of educational socialization, and they're grounded in particular cultural backgrounds, every student. And so what works in one context and the materials that resonate with students in one context are going to look completely different if you put them in place in another context. And Mm -hmm. in some cases, they may, you know, be effective for both students, but just look a little different. But in many cases, if you just take materials like verbatim from one intervention to another context, it's just not going to be the process that you want to target. And so Mm -hmm. a big part of our thinking through about this intervention space is that most of the literature we've focused on has really focused on students who are learning in high school or college learning context, mostly white, mostly um, either from Europe or from United States. And it's particular samples that we've been studying and we've gotten a lot of really good information, but We just really don't know tons about how students in diverse cultural contexts from diverse backgrounds are going to respond to different types of these expectancy value interventions because Mm -hmm. our correlational literature and our intervention literature is just limited in a lot of ways. And so Mm -hmm. we thought through some recommendations for the future. And there are some really cool studies who have looked at these topics in terms of either 
comparing how different individuals within a culture from different subgroups might respond to materials, or just looking in understudied cultural context to see how these materials work. So mm-hmm. De on Gray has a really cool paper looking at a relevance intervention, really connecting to utility value work in an African-American learning context, which is just kind of a novel perspective that hasn't been reflected in that literature to date. Mm-hmm. But there just needs to be a ton more work done. So a lot of the end of our paper is really thinking about those directions. And I think that's a critical space if we want these interventions talking about the complexity of classrooms and people's backgrounds. It's just not going to work unless we really put a lot more time and effort into those areas. For sure. And I was really pleased to see that in your article. And I think it's critically important. And I will say, as an editor of a journal, I'm I'm happy to hear that the review process was positive for you. You know, I think review processes are anxiety provoking, and they can be difficult. And certainly there are times where they're not so fun. I have been engaged in some not so fun discourses with reviewers. But ideally, they should ask good questions and kind of push you to think differently and maybe make your work better. It sounds like that was some of your experience this time. And so I'm, I'm just really happy to hear that. It really was. And I mean, it was really helpful because the utility value intervention literature has been doing a great job, especially recently, of looking a ton at different cultural backgrounds and subgroups and thinking about that space. But when you get into really thinking big about the educate, like the expectancy value literature and all the correlational work just helped us really take a step back and kind of assess Mm -hmm. where we are coming from and what our key recommendations should be. So whoever our Mm -hmm. reviewers are, thank you, because it was really helpful. We had a very positive experience. That's great. That's great. And again, I'm really pleased that you're emphasizing this need to examine the role of culture and how ideas that might have a lot of evidence from particular cultures or context really need to be reevaluated and and need to be reexamined in different cultures and contexts because it may be applicable, it may be partially applicable, it might not be applicable at all. We might need to start over and with different kinds of cultures or contexts. And so highlighting that in the article is fantastic and I'm glad that you did that. And actually it seems like situated expectancy value theory has some ways to think about the role of kind of context in motivation intervention research? I mean, I know that there's some debate, you know, should we be targeting individual students' motivation versus should we be targeting the context? It seems like there are some ways in which we could think about that via situated expectancy value theory. Can you talk to us a little bit about that? Yeah, that's really the other area. I mean, basically the whole, the section you're picking up on in the paper is really the area where, you know, we had the most conversation around this topic. And Mm -hmm. the idea of changing the student versus the context is one that as a researcher who mostly did research changing the student for a long time, I've thought a lot about lately. So I guess to summarize kind of the debate there, a lot of the interventions that we were reviewing, mostly utility value intervention work, but intervention work targeting other constructs as well, has done activities that are primarily geared towards students, meaning Mm -hmm. they're done in context, right? They're not designed to be divorced from the educational context, but There are activities that you give to students in order to affect change. So write an essay about relevance, evaluate quotations, things like that. On the flip side, some researchers have discussed that what we should do is have teachers really redesign their curricula so that the context is more motivationally supportive Mm -hmm. instead of maybe trying to design briefer types of activities that would target a student's belief within a context that you really haven't changed much. Mm -hmm. And personally, my belief is, I don't think that one approach is going to be the one to recommend over another, because although it would be great if we could make all of our contacts more motivationally supportive, I absolutely think we should. There are some teachers who 
may not ever get on board with that, but maybe are okay with doing something that is a little bit less resource intensive, or maybe some teachers aren't, you know, allowed to change certain aspects of their context. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot to debate there, but it's a really important topic to think about because there are activities you can do that focus on the student, but then there are other ways that you can change your entire course in order to be more kind of contextually relevant and supportive for students. Mm -hmm. And so the idea is that teachers could really try to create lesson plans that are more supportive of identity and belonging and that really are more thoughtful about kind of interweaving relevance of course material into students' everyday lives and goals. And that include, you know, hands-on engaging, stimulating activities to foster interest instead of thinking about how can we get students to do that within whatever's already going on. Mm -hmm. I think the theory is very helpful for thinking about how you might change the context because that's a really daunting goal. But what I really like about expectancy value theory is that it breaks it down into the key motivational elements. And then you can think about how to design a context that would support each one. And so we talk about that a little bit in the paper. And yeah, I mean, there are definitely challenges of trying to do so. But I do think, you know, ultimately, as researchers, that's everyone's sort of goal. We want our schools to be more aligned with supporting students' motivation. Yeah, I I really liked your point that both are important, right? So we want to give students the tools that they need and the capacities they need to, you know, hopefully have positive motivations and maybe even know a little bit about how to manage their motivations. And we also want to create environments that are optimally motivational. But, you know, as you said, sometimes that's only to some degree under our control. And in those moments when we've done the best we can to create a good context, but students still might need some help with motivation, then, you know, working with the student can be really important. And so I'm pleased that in your paper, you really talked about both and helped your readers understand how they're both legitimate targets and why, and the importance of examining culture and context and individuals and trying to target them all optimally. That's that's a strength of the paper for sure. Thank you. And it's not necessarily a dichotomy, right? So I think you can target students as your primary point, but with a really clear awareness of your context, doing a lot of work to make sure your materials are relevant in context, working with teachers as much as you can to make your materials authentic in context, or you can target a context, but really with thinking through really closely how all these activities are affecting the students and what students are going to do. And I actually think that what goes unsaid in a lot of existing successful intervention literature, just because of page limits and things like that, is all of the work that researchers put into working in a context. You know, I, I really like thinking through at this broad conceptual level, which way should you go? But at the end of the day, I mean, you really have to think about the context in any circumstance. And I think most utility value intervention researchers would agree, just like you have to put a ton of work into making sure your materials are relevant and valid and contextually appropriate, no matter what, and no matter where your ultimate target is. Yeah, totally agree. Great point. And I I think you're right. The reality is that the vast majority of researchers, when they enter into a context, they partner with educators and they say, okay, here's our ideas. What do you think will work? How can we make this work in your context? You know, what's useful for you? But for some reason, we've not included that stuff in the peer-reviewed literature like we should. And I think that's changing. I'm seeing more and more scholars saying, hey, this stuff is really important too, whether it's via design-based research or other kinds of mechanisms for sharing the important contextualization that happens, but it's an important piece of the intervention process. And I'm glad that you're highlighting that because I, I, I want us to start doing that more often in literature because it's critical. 
Yeah, I totally agree, especially, yeah, with the more focus on accepting of design-based research, all these really cool methods. For me, it wasn't until I mentored with a lot of the utility value intervention researchers that I realized how much important contextual development work goes into everything, Mm -hmm. just because it's not necessarily published in such depth, but it's such a key component of making things effective. For sure. Yeah. Well, hopefully we'll see more research like that. So speaking of research, you've done a really nice job of talking to us about your wonderful article, and I really do encourage our listeners to check it out. Do you have current projects you want to share with us, things you're currently working on that you're really excited about? I'm working on intervention research myself. So just thinking through different directions for interventions, kind of, you know, wrote my own recommendations and now I'm going to try and follow them. Um, (laughs) I've been doing a seed grant with a collaborator at University of Georgia looking at this idea of can we target interventions to students' unique motivational patterns using adaptive Mm -hmm. techniques. And I've been doing some work around interventions to reduce students' perceptions of cost, which I'm continuing to work on. And Mm -hmm. it's really fun to see this work evolve over time. And this project was really helpful for me in thinking a lot more about just more systematically, okay, to whom am I going to direct this intervention? And Mm -hmm. really being a little bit more intentional about some of the design elements of the projects that I'm now, you know, pursuing. Mm-hmm. That's wonderful. And I think it's really wise to take your own recommendations, right? You write, a, you write a future directions section of an article. And if that informs your later work, I think it really helps to illustrate this consistent line of scholarship. I've bounced around a little too much. I haven't always taken my own advice. And so it's, it's, it's a wise thing, I think, to kind of use your really great ideas and then do the next study with them. So good luck with all that work. It sounds really interesting. Thank you. So I know that your co-authors are, you know, the people that kind of came up with expectancy value theory. So that's Alan Wigfield and and Jackie Eccles. So what was it like working with them on this paper? Yeah, I want to give the giant a shout out in the world to Alan and Jackie for being my collaborators on this project. Alan is my doctoral mentor and he's, you know, has always been the most amazing mentor. And this project was actually his idea years ago, although it took us a while to kind of get it into being, but he gave such amazing feedback and he's really the expert in the correlational literature and, you know, help focus the writing and get everything on track. And I'm just really, really grateful. And Jackie gave us amazing big picture feedback about like the historical trends and the theory and interventions. And yeah, it's just kind of awe-inspiring to get to write a paper with both Alan and Jackie and then also humbling because you know, they could answer these podcast questions better than me, I'm sure. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know about that. You've done a a very good job of answering these questions. I'm sure they'll be pleased. So why don't we go ahead and wrap it up there today. Um, I want to encourage our listeners to check out your 2022 article, An Educational Psychologist, entitled Beyond Utility Value Interventions, The Why, When, and How for Next Steps in Expectancy Value Intervention Research. But Emily, thank you again for talking to me about your article today. Yeah, thank you for having me. 